little thought-provoking there, isn't it? <clears throat> hey, uh, just again, um, for this coming uh, fall, when we kind of start up the Renew again, um, everybody always kind of likes to know what I'm going to be teaching on. Uh, last fall, we kind of uh, taught on the book of uh, Philippians and kind of talked about, again, just the, the habits or the trademarks of happiness or blessedness. And so this year, I'm going to teach on the book of James, and we're going to be just kind of talking about the marks of maturity because that's kind of one of the themes that James really, the book of James really accentuates is, again, just the marks of maturity, how we grow uh, deeper in our walk, our faith um, in Christ, and we're going to kind of, you know, weave that in and kind of begin to talk about our intimacy with God. What does that look like? Uh, how do we grow in intimacy? with God, what does that look like? Um, and so that's kind of what we're going to be teaching on um, this year. Somebody asked me, you know, do we have to have the book of James memorized to come to Wednesday night? And I said, yes, you do. Uh, no, it's uh, just bring your Bibles. Uh, it's just a great time. It, it took me a little bit of time to kind of get used to the Wednesday night because Sunday morning just feels so different for me than the Wednesday night. But I think I finally kind of got the, the hang of Wednesday night. So if you haven't tried it out yet, it'd be a good time to start up this fall. And again, we're going to be looking at the book of James and just kind of looking again at the, the marks of maturity um, as we uh, delve into that. We're kind of continuing on. I'm going to do maybe a couple more Sundays um, of this. It's kind of been a fun series for me this summer, kind of looking at God's favorite stories. We've been talking about uh, the parables that Jesus told, because a lot of times those are some of our favorite stories when we get in uh, to the Word of God. And so this morning we're going to look at a very, very short parable that Jesus told. And that's kind of the amazing thing. Um, they didn't have a Bible back then, and so a lot of times the stories that Jesus told were pretty short because he wanted them to be memorable. And so the shorter they were, obviously, the easier they were to remember. And so it's really only two verses long, but it really has a lot to say to us about the way the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven uh, wants to uh, and will operate upon the earth and in the lives of believers. And so the parable is found in Matthew 13. If you want to open your Bibles there, we're going to begin in verse 31. Otherwise, you can just follow along on the screen with me. And Jesus says, here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Now, I want you to notice right off the bat here, Jesus is making a very clear distinction, and that is this reference to the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is about to give them an, an analogy or an illustration of how the kingdom of heaven will operate, will kind of manifest and establish itself upon the earth and how it will intersect into the lives and the affairs of mankind. So whenever you see that term, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, they're synonymous. So you'll find them, you know, used interchangeably. So if you see kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same concept there. So whenever you see that, what it is referring to is how the rule and reign of God would be operating upon the earth and how that will be intersecting in the lives and the affairs of mankind. Now, we've kind of talked a little bit about this when we looked at the parable of the talents. And again, part of God's 
plans and purposes in the lives and the affairs of mankind is he wants to usher in and he wants to establish his kingdom here upon this earth. God wants his will done above and beyond all else. God wants his kingdom to kind of be lived out, to kind of be flourishing among um, mankind. He wants um, his will being done here on the earth just like it is being done in the heavens. So God wants his kingdom manifest upon the earth in the same way it is manifested in the heavens. And we talked about this. Jesus affirms this when he was teaching his disciples to pray. And there he says in Matthew 6.10, thy kingdom come, so God's kingdom come, God's kingdom be established. Uh, thy will be done, so, so the will of God being done on earth, here now, just as it is there now in heaven. And so every time God's will is done upon the earth, every time we are obedient to do what God tells us to do, we are ushering in and we are establishing the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. So what it takes is it takes us, it takes the body of Christ, it takes the universal church, it takes believers working in cooperation with and in unity with the Godhead. And when I use that term, I'm speaking Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it is us working in cooperation and unity with the Godhead to bring about, to usher in, and to, and to establish um, God's will upon the earth. And that's why, again, everywhere Jesus went, he's the walking, living example of what it is to establish the will of God upon the earth. That's why everywhere he went, everything he did, everything he said, he was ushering in, he was bringing about the kingdom of heaven upon the earth just like it was in the heavenly realm. So when he fed the hungry, we've talked about this, he would say, behold, the kingdom of God uh, is among you. Uh, when he would heal people, the, the kingdom of God, would, he would describe that as the kingdom of God is breaking forth among you. Um, and so when he, when he taught the multitudes and they said they would marvel because he taught with authority, again, it was the kingdom of God, the will of God was being done, it was being ushered in, and it was being established upon the earth just like it is in heaven. And so this parable that Jesus is giving to them about the mustard seed there in Matthew 13, again, he's giving us that as a way of understanding how the kingdom of earth wants to operate, to be manifested, to be moving upon the face of the earth and intersecting in the lives and affairs of mankind. Now, this is, and, and he's saying, this is, how the kingdom of heaven is going to operate upon the earth. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Good. Kingdom of heaven, again, will manifest itself in a particular way. It's not just going to be helter-skelter. It's not going to be this way today, another way tomorrow. Jesus is simply saying, this is the way it has been done in the heavens and will continue. And so we're going to do it the same way upon the earth. Nothing's going to change here. 
So he says, let me just kind of give you an analogy, an illustration of how you're going to see the kingdom of God manifest and operate upon the earth. And he said, one of the ways the kingdom of heaven will manifest itself in the lives, it will intersect the affairs of mankind, is it will begin in small ways. When the kingdom of God begins to manifest among us, it will begin in small, sometimes seeming insignificant ways. And so Jesus says in verse 32, in reference to the mustard seed, he said, it is the smallest of all seeds. But he said, it eventually becomes the largest of garden plants. So he said, one of the ways the kingdom of heaven is going to operate and manifest and intersect in the lives of human affairs is it's going to begin in small ways. One of the ways that God's plans and purposes in your life is going to begin in small ways. And over time, as we surrender, as we walk in faith, in cooperation, in obedience to what God is doing among the small ways, it will begin to grow and increase in spiritual influence and opportunity over time. Now we see another reference to this, to the mustard seed in regards to faith, um, in Matthew 17, 20, and Jesus says there, I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you know, you get the idea of a mustard seed. He said, then you can say to this huge, enormous, gigantic mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. So Jesus tells us the smallest amount of faith, if that's all you have to begin with, and it is a kingdom principle that oftentimes your faith is going to start in small ways. And as you uh, walk in agreement, as you walk in cooperation, as you walk in unity and obedience to the word of God, that small faith is going to begin to grow and it's going to begin to increase. This is what Jesus is saying. So Jesus says the smallest amount of faith, don't despise that. Don't toss that aside. Don't look at your little small amount of faith and compare that to somebody else's faith who may be a little bigger, stronger, greater than yours. They're started probably about the same amount as yours did. They've just been at it a little longer. So Jesus is saying don't, don't get, don't get uh, discouraged. Don't get sidetracked. If you start with just the smallest Jesus said, I can do a lot with that, as long as it's the right kind of faith, as long as it's in line, in agreement with the Word of God. Let me illustrate what I mean, because we kind of get different ideas of this. Now, in the Islamic religion, okay, they teach about jihad. Now, it's a term we've heard 
probably more than enough in the news, especially after the events of 9-11. Now, jihad as taught by Islam, and I, I know that there are, are differing interpretations regarding the definition of jihad, and some Islamic sects are a bit more radical than others in regards to their belief, their living out of jihad, but jihad, according to the Islamic faith, is the duty, it's the responsibility, the obligation to engage in holy war against those who would be unbelievers, enemies. We've heard them referred to as infidels. Um, and again, if they're called upon to do so. So it's, again, it's one of the basic requirements of the Muslim faith. Now, part of that is, is that duty, there is a reward or there's a promise when they fulfill the duty, the obligation of jihad, and that is, is that they believe God promises a heavenly reward, one of those being 72 virgins, to all who die in holy war. Now again, there are variations of that belief, interpretation within Islam, um, but that is the basic kind of generally agreed upon definition of jihad as understood within the Islamic religion. So again, that is one of the beliefs in Islam. Now, in the Hindu religion, the river Ganges by Hindus is believed to be holy. It is believed to be sacred. And they in the Hindu religion believe that one of the ways to have your sins washed away and forgiven is simply by going down, dipping, and washing yourself in the Ganges rivers. Now, if you are a Muslim and, and you believe in jihad the way that I have defined it, and let's say you're willing to practice jihad, and in the event of jihad, you die, but you also believe that Allah promises you a heavenly reward. Is your belief in jihad, is that faith? Is that an expression of faith in jihad? If you're a Hindu and you believe with all of your heart I mean, you can't believe any more than you do that by washing in the Ganges River, you are forgiven. Now, if you believe that with all of your heart, is that faith? Is that an expression of faith in Hinduism? Yes. Those are both expressions of faith. Is it biblical faith? No. And that is the difference. So you can have all the faith in the world. You can be filled from head to toe, inside, outside, with faith and belief. But it, if it is not in line with the Word of God, it will do nothing for you. So you can believe with all of your heart that by washing in the Ganges rivers, you're going to be cleansed of your sin. And no matter how strongly or fervently or deeply you believe that, all of the faith in the world will not make that true. And it won't do anything for you or for the conditions of your sins. However, Jesus says, just the smallest tiniest amount of the right kind of faith 
Faith that is in agreement, in unity, in harmony with the word of God. Just a little amount of the right kind of faith can do enormous things. Jesus says, as a matter of fact, the right kind of faith and the right kind of circumstances, you can move mountains. He says, nothing will be impossible to you. Now to me, if nothing is impossible to you with the smallest amount of faith, imagine what you can do as that faith grows and increases. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So we see this kingdom principle on display in the parable of the talents. If you were here uh, when we taught on that, in, Jesus, in, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about three men who gave differing uh, amounts of money. Two of the three doubled their investment, while the third man took his and he buried it. In commending the two men who doubled their investment, look at what Jesus says to them in Matthew 25, 21. And here's this kingdom principle. He said, you have been faithful in handling this small amount. You've been faithful with the little. He said, now I am going to increase that. I'm going to expand that. I am going to now give you many more responsibility. See, it starts off small because he, he wants to see what are you going to do with it. And, and when you're obedient with that, what he says is I'm going to take that and I'm going to increase and I'm going to expand that. See, for a lot of you, you're waiting for a huge move of God before you do something. I'm here to tell you the kingdom principle is look for God in the small ways right now. Look for God in, in maybe the little ways right now. Because what he's wanting you to do is he's kind of wanting you to step into the little. And as you trust him, as you walk in obedience, as you walk in faith, God's going to grow that. He's going to expand that. But oftentimes the kingdom principle is he's going to start in the little, in the small ways. That is the principle of the mustard seed. And Jesus said, here's how the kingdom of heaven is going to operate and intersect in the affairs of mankind. Now, I could just stop right here, and I could just simply tell you, reflect on your own experience of that. And right now, you're thinking of experiences where, yeah, 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 I can look back and see where God started in really, really small ways, kind of insignificant ways, and as I just walked in faith and obedience, God grew and expanded that. That's that kingdom principle. You see this principle in Romans 5, beginning in verse 3. Again, I want you to notice the increase, the progression, and how it builds. And Paul says not only this, but we also exalt or we rejoice in our tribulations, our trials, knowing that tribulations, trials, okay, it begins there. What does God do with that? He takes that and, and he grows it, he expands it, and it becomes perseverance. And, and once you've kind of gotten to that level of perseverance, he takes you to the next level, he increases it, he builds it, and he gives you proven character. And he says once you get to that place of proven character, then he's going to grow, and he's going to expand, and he's going to increase that, and he's going to give you hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So as the love of God is poured out upon your hearts, what God does is he takes what little he has to work with. And again, as you're just obedient, faithful, surrendered to that, God is just going to increase, build, and grow that. Um, and then it just, all of a sudden, there's just hope springing forth, and that hope does not disappoint. 
So again, Paul is even encouraging us by saying that what starts out as maybe small, insignificant trials and tribulations, they have the potential to grow and increase within us. So oftentimes when we encounter trials and tribulations, what do we do? We run. We try to get out of it ASAP. Go the other way. You know, do whatever you got to do to get away from it. Again, Paul says, look at it as, a, as an opportunity, as a, as a way that God wants to begin, a place that maybe God wants to begin in you to grow, to expand, and to build the kingdom of God within you. So again, we have that choice. We have that opportunity. God invites us in the midst of our trials and tribulations to say, I got a plan here, and here's my plan. I'm going to use this to bring forth hope, and it's going to be hope that will not disappoint that's the kingdom principle, again, of that mustard seed. It starts off small and little, maybe even seemingly insignificant ways. And again, as we just surrender, we walk in obedience, we walk in faith to that, God takes the little and he begins to grow, to build, and to expand that. That's how the kingdom of God wants to work upon the earth, how it wants to intersect the affairs of, of mankind. Starts off small and it grows and expands from there. Jesus even applies this kingdom principle to the parables themselves. Listen to how he responds to the disciples' questions as to why he's teaching using parables. Remember, at this point, the you know, Beatitudes were, were pretty straightforward. You know, there, there was no mystery. There was no difficult time trying to understand what he was saying. When he starts teaching in the parables is when it kind of becomes shrouded in, in, a, in a sense of mystery. They don't always kind of follow exactly what he's getting at. There were some aspects or illustrations that were kind of confusing to them. And so he says in verse 11 there, he says, You are permitted to understand the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Now listen. To those who listen to my teaching... What happens? Increase, you get more. See, it, it starts off with maybe just a little understanding of the mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But as you're faithful with the little, you do understand. What he says is, I'll increase that and give you more. And he says, then you will have an abundance of knowledge. So it starts off little, and before long, you've got an abundance. But for those who are not listening, even the little they've been given, the little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And he said, this is why I use parables. So when it comes to the, you know, understanding the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, again, it starts off small. As we listen and as we obey, as we begin to apply it and walk it out in our lives, more is given, and over time, we just have an abundance of knowledge. Again, not so that we can be prideful, but just again so that we know how to walk and how to usher in the kingdom of God upon the earth. And that, again, is that spiritual kingdom principle of the mustard seed. It always starts off small, and grows in influence and effect over time as we obediently respond. Again, this is one of the ways Jesus said 
This is an analogy that I'm giving you of how the kingdom of heaven desires to manifest and operate upon the earth. Again, we see this principle playing out uh, even since the beginning of creation. Look at Noah. Genesis 6, 9 says, Noah was a righteous man, and he walked in close fellowship with God. And you notice that walk with God, that close fellowship with God, that grew, it increased, it built until eventually God used Noah in bigger and greater ways, namely building an ark. But you see how it started? He, he was a righteous man. He was in right standing with God. And he was in close fellowship with God. Now, now maybe at that time in Noah's life, that seemed like a pretty big thing. But again, he's just being faithful to where he was, what he was given, and then God just built and increased that to a point where he was able to go on and do great and mighty things for God. That is that kingdom principle. So the other aspect of the mustard seed that we see, that's the first one, is that it always starts off small. And then it just grows and it builds. Other aspect we see from the parable of the mustard seed is as our faith grows and increases, this is the beautiful part, this is the awesome part, is it has the potential of becoming a blessing and a benefit for others. Jesus said in verse 32, it is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. Now notice, as the small mustard seed grows and becomes larger, eventually it becomes a place where the birds can come and take refuge. Think about all of the blessings we benefit from other people or by other people who start off doing something small, something that seems maybe insignificant in the beginning, but over time as they abide in faithfulness and steadfastness, it grew into something much larger and it all of a sudden it becomes a blessing that kind of expands to untold others. I mean, think of the hospitals. I mean, if you've ever done any research on how hospitals started, universities, colleges, orphanages, um, you know, almshouses, those are care facilities for the elderly and the disabled, the humane society. Christy would love this, Steve. You have to tell Christy this. Humane society, um, Relief agencies such as the Red Cross, World Vision, Samaritan's Purse, the YMCA, just to name a few. All of these great organizations, ministries, were started by Christians, by believers, who began with small faith, limited small resources and watched as God grew and expanded that into something much greater over time. As they just walked in obedience, as they walked in faith, God took what little, the little mustard seed, and God began to grow and expand it. Salvation Army, I, I told you I've been reading a lot on William Booth, who's the founder of the Salvation Army. I mean, he's just one of hundreds of examples. I mean, here's a man who began his ministry in 1852. And he just had a very simple vision. That's it. It started as a vision to really reach the lost multitudes of England and bring them to Christ. And so with this vision, this mission, he just began to go out into the streets of England 
And he just began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the poor, to the homeless, the hungry, and the destitute. In time, Booth, now get this, we, we think that, you know, uh, the, the churches back then were, were maybe so much more spiritual than maybe they are today. But listen to the church's reaction then uh, to William Booth and what he was doing. He had to abandon the, con the, the conventional concept uh, of a church and a pulpit and, and because the church would not allow him to bring the people from the outside inside the church. So his, his passion, his vision, his desire led him into disagreement with the church leaders in London because they preferred more traditional methods. In other words, we're not going out to them. They need to come to us. Booth did not see it that way. He felt a vision to go to where the people were. And as a result, he just ultimately withdrew from the church and he kind of just traveled uh, throughout England conducting these evangelistic meetings uh, on the street. In 1865, William Booth was invited to hold a series of evangelistic meetings in the east end of London. He set up a tent in a Quaker graveyard. That's where, that's where he went to preach, just set up a tent in a Quaker graveyard, and his services became an instant success. Thieves, prostitutes, gamblers, drunkards were among Booth's first converts to Christianity. To congregations who were desperately poor, all he did was just preach hope, salvation, good news, forgiveness, grace. And again, his aim was to lead people to Christ and then to link them with the church for further spiritual guidance. But one of the issues was, was when these people started coming into the church, a lot like today, we don't know what to do with them. We want them to be so much more like us before we'll ever welcome them or allow them to come in to the church. Booth struggled with the same thing. So he had this growing group of converts, growing group of volunteers, and they were just subjected to violence, to ridicule. Publications of the day kind of made fun of their uniforms, their methods. Many churches, they just would not receive Booth's converts because of their past, much like today. So Booth just continued giving his new converts spiritual direction, challenging them to basically take the gospel they had heard and preach it to others as well. And soon there were uh, people singing and preaching in the streets all over uh, England as a living testimony to the power of God, not the power of the church. The church had pretty much sidelined itself. In 1867, Booth had only 10 full-time workers. By 1874, the number had grown to over 1,000 volunteers and 42 evangelists, all serving under the name the Christian myth, uh, Mission. Booth assumed the title as general superintendent with all of his followers. They started calling him General Booth, and they were originally known as kind of the Hallelujah Army. Um, and again, these converts just started spreading out everywhere, going and preaching the good news that they had heard. Um, and so from that point, uh, converts became soldiers of Christ, and they were known then as they are now as the Salvation um, Army. And again, they launched this extensive, um, just evangelistic uh, uh, 
process uh, throughout the British Isles. And, and again, in some cases, I mean, these people faced, uh, again, uh, organized gangs uh, that, that mocked and attacked them. This was not an easy thing, but yet in spite of all the violence, the opposition, you know, from the non-Christians as well as from the churches, um, some, now get this, 250,000, a quarter of a million people were converted under the ministry of the Salvation Army between 1881 and 1885, four years. Now, there's a lot more I could say about the Salvation Army and the history of that, and a lot more that could be said of their ministry, but my point being how God was able to take a man, one man, with a vision, a small vision, a small mustard seed of resources and as he was just committed and obedient and walked in faith, God was able to take that and build it and grow it and expand it into what it is today. And again, they're an agency that provides untold relief. I mean, if there, if there are tornadoes and floods and earthquakes, anytime there is a disaster, the Salvation Army is there. They're that tree that is providing branches for the birds. Places for people to go to have shelter, to have their needs met. That's how the kingdom of God wants to manifest itself. It's how, how Jesus said, this is how it's going to operate here on the earth. Here's how it's going to intersect in the lives of men. It's going to start off small, but if you'll be faithful, I'll grow it, and it will become the largest of all plants. It'll become a huge tree, and, and the birds of the air are going to come, and they're going to land on its branches. Even Jesus, the Son of God, think about this, started off his ministry in the smallest of ways. He comes to earth as an innocent, small, little, harmless baby. And really, other than a few mentions, you really don't hear anything about Jesus, the life of Jesus, until the last three and a half years of his life. So in many, many ways, Jesus even started his earthly life. He started his ministry in very small, little steps of obedience to his Father. Luke said that he grew and increased in stature and favor with God and man. It didn't all come at once. It came in increments. It came in steps. Now, those last three and a half years were enormously powerful and impactful, but consider all of the years leading up to that in comparison to the last three and a half years. They were years and years again of the small, the little, the steadfast, consistent steps of faith and obedience to his heavenly Father. Now, why do I say that? Because some of us get so impatient waiting upon God to do big things and use us in big ways. Oftentimes, we want to just take a shortcut. We want to go from the back of the line to the front of the line. We want to kind of just go from, from little faith to big ministry overnight. We want to forego the small step-by-step, step, growing in God, growing in our faith, being faithful in the little things, learning what it means to walk by faith, persevering through the trials and the tribulations we referenced earlier. I mean, trials and tribulations, they sideline so many people. But yet it's where God wants to begin for some reason. God wants to begin. Oh, you want to grow. Oh, you want a ministry. 
Oh, you want to serve me? Okay, let's start in trials and tribulations. That just takes so many of us out. That is not what I signed up for. And I could write books on trials and tribulations. We face just trying to get this. And some of you can write books of, of the trials and tribulations I created. No one's perfect in this, not even me. So we want the big buildings, the big ministries, the big moves of God, but we don't want that necessary foundation. We don't, we don't want to start off in the little things. We just want to go big with God. Many times we just give up and we walk away from all the just huge plans and purposes that God has for our lives because we despised the small beginnings Whereas the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. If that sounds familiar, I'm quoting from Zechariah 4.10. I love that. Um, did, did, can you go back to the beginning of that verse there, Carol? I think verse 8. So then another message came to me from the Lord. This is to Zerubbabel. Uh, he said, Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of the temple. Small. Foundation. Little. And he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Go on the next one for me. I don't, I don't have it up here. I'm depending on you this morning. And it says, do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begun, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. What did God recognize the plumb line? What did he go on to do? Built the wall. He needed the plumb line. So he said, don't, don't despise the small beginning when you're just holding the plumb line in your hand. I, I don't know anything about a plumb line, so this would be a perfect place for me to be. Just stand there holding the plumb line saying, now what? What is this for? What does this do? You just begin in small ways. That's kind of what Zerubbabel did. It's what God wants to do with us as well. Every mustard seed of faith begins with the smallest of seeds, salvation. That's where it all starts. That is the smallest seed of faith begins in salvation. Billy Graham, without a doubt, was one of the most influential, well-known preachers of our time. He has preached the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the world, and more than 3.2 million people have responded to the invitations to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior through the Billy Graham crusade. As of 2008, Graham estimated lifetime audiences, including radio, television, broadcast, top 2.2 billion. Do you know all of that began from the smallest of seeds, salvation. It was his own acceptance of Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Again, like Billy Graham, I believe God has great and mighty plans and purposes for every human being. And I will tell you, those great plans and purposes of God begin with the smallest of seed of faith, and that is salvation. Now, I say salvation is the smallest seed because it is what God starts with and it is what is simplest to understand. Salvation is the foundation that God wants to build your life, your ministry, your purposes upon. And one of the ways the kingdom of God wants to intersect our lives and change the world is through salvation in Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with this. Paul says in Romans 10.9, he describes that simple path, that simple process of salvation. I'm going to ask you, your bladder may be about to explode. 
but I want you just to sit still because I want to make sure that everybody here who needs to hear this morning hears it uh, without any distractions of people getting up and down, and I'll make it quick. Here's what Paul says in Romans 10.9. Simple seed of faith begins here. This is the simple path of salvation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that is the Old Testament equivalent that he is God in human flesh, if you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Not that he died on the cross for your sin. It's a marvelous, wonderful truth. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says what you need to believe in your heart is that God raised him from the dead. No one disputes that Jesus died. He was a human being. He died, but what we are going to have to have faith to believe is that in death, God raised him up to resurrected life. And he says... When you do those two things, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, is God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, we've taken that, and we've kind of built on that, and we've expanded that in religion. But Paul says those two things, the confession with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's it. That's all that's necessary for salvation. He said, for it is by believing in your heart. What are you believing in your heart? That God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that he gave him resurrected life. He says, by believing that in your heart, you are made right with God. That is righteousness. Remember, Noah was a righteous man. You can become a righteous man, a righteous woman, um, and, and that means you are in right standing with God. Salvation, when you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you are receiving righteousness. That puts you in right standing with God. And he said it is by confessing with your mouth, what are you confessing? Jesus is Lord. And he said in that you are saved. So you're saved and you're righteous you get salvation and right standing with God in confessing Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart God raised from the dead. You get saved and you get to become righteous. He said, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's the name of the Lord? Jesus. It's really that simple. But that's where it has to begin. That's why I say it's the smallest because that's where God starts and it's the simplest to understand. 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 6, chapter 6, verse 2, clearly states regarding salvation, indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Paul is basically telling us that when you understand the message of salvation, when you understand it, mean, when you kind of come to that aha moment, where we're kind of the light bulb goes off in your head, as Paul described, the scales fall from your eyes, and you begin to understand what salvation is, what Jesus accomplished for you and I through his death upon the cross, our response to that, Paul says, needs to be immediate. If you understand it today, today is the day of salvation. If you understand salvation right now, Paul said, right now is the time to receive salvation. When we understand that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness. Through his resurrection, we have eternal life. Our response to that invitation is now. 
Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, not the next time I hear Pastor Jeff talk about this. If you understand what I just said about salvation and you have never, ever accepted the free gift of salvation, Paul says now, today is the day. If you've never, ever asked God to forgive you of your sins, now is the time to do that. If you've never, ever asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, to live in you and through you by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit, because that's how the kingdom of God is going to come, is by the Holy Spirit living in you and through you. If you've never done that, today is the day to do that. Salvation is one of those mustard seeds. It is the smallest, but I'll tell you what, it will grow and increase in your life, and it will influence and benefit not only you, but also untold others in ways I'm sure William Booth, Billy Graham couldn't even begin to comprehend. This is one of the ways the kingdom of heaven is seeking to manifest itself upon the earth. Today is the day. So we're just going to invite the worship team to come back up this morning. Just a couple of ways you can respond here this morning, again, as we just uh, enter back into a time of worship. If you've never ever just uh, asked Jesus Christ into your heart uh, this morning, again, Paul simply said, it's just by confessing with your mouth, just saying Jesus is Lord. Let's just say that all together uh, one, on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. There you go. Now, he said, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he said, you're saved. So you made the confession with your mouth now, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. I don't need to add any more to that. It's done. So if you're here this morning and you've never, ever done that, and let's say this morning you just said that word, Jesus is Lord. I believe he is God in human flesh. Don't have to understand it. There's aspects of this I don't even understand, the incarnation of God. God taking on human flesh. That is way beyond my little peanut brain to even begin to understand the fullness of, of that. But he did it. And I believe it. And I receive that. And I walk in that. And so again, this morning, you may have just said, Jesus is Lord. You may not know beyond much what that means. But again, God's going to start with the smallest of what you got. And he's going to begin to grow it. And he's going to begin to build it and expand it. There's a lot more things I understand about that those three words, Jesus is Lord, now, today, than when I first said those words many, many, many years ago. So this morning, you may have been here and you said those words, and, and for whatever reason, you, there just was a, a sureness in your affirmation this morning. Jesus is Lord. Yes, he is God. And I believe, I don't understand it, I just believe that God did raise him from the dead. Paul says you're saved. And if you've done that this morning, you have every cause to join heaven in celebrating that. So every time a sinner comes to repentance, all of heaven just breaks out in a party. And so this morning, your response to that salvation, actually just saying, wow, for the first time, I feel right with God, is just to worship him, to thank him for his working in your life and your heart this morning. Another way you can respond is simply by coming up and taking communion. Jesus met in that, in that small room, remember this, met with him, it was just him, 12 others, Judas left, it was 11, and he just started with a very, very simple meal. A simple loaf, broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. Said, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. 
he took a cup and he lifted it up, gave thanks to God, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Every time you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And you know what? That night, the breaking of that bread, the sharing of that cup has spread all across the world. Churches all around the world today are celebrating the breaking of that bread, the shedding of his blood, which is represented in the juice. And again, it just began with a small group of guys in one place. And God grew it and he expanded it. it, it it's, it's right there on full display for us to see. So this morning, that may be a way that you can respond to. Maybe there's just some of you this morning, you know, God started you off in some small ways. Maybe it is through trials and tribulations. And, and maybe you've given up and, and maybe kind of walked away from that. And this morning, maybe it's just time to go back and to embrace that. To say, God, I, I see how you're wanting to work in my life. I don't like it. It's not fun but I'm willing to do it if it's going to grow me and bring me to perseverance, proven character, and hope, and I know that hope will not disappoint. So maybe for some of you this morning, just going back and embracing that small little thing, that way God was moving in your heart and life this morning, and just by, again, remembering this started off small, and look what we're doing with it today. There's small things that God's doing in your life this morning. It's just time to take hold of that, affirm that, and say to God, I, I want it to increase in me. Make that that mustard seed. Make the kingdom of heaven operate and work and established in, in, in that for me. So I'm just going to invite you to stand this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for the illustration, the analogy of that mustard seed. God, how it begins small and God, how over time, again, in obedience through faith, God, it just grows and expands. Father, we just thank you for that, Lord. I pray for those here this morning who are embracing or just need to re-embrace that small way that you've been working in their life, God, because you want to grow it. You want to grow them. You want to grow the kingdom in that. The Father, we would just receive and embrace that again afresh anew this morning. Father, we also just thank you for those here this morning whose mustard seed of faith has grown in such ways that people are beginning uh, to benefit and to be blessed by that. I think of the house of prayer, Father. We just pray, Lord, you'll continue to nurture that seed, Father that you'll just continue to provide a place, Father, of refuge, a place of, of rest, of healing, of wholeness, of restoration in that. God, other ministries in the church that you're working in, Father, we just ask God for an increase there. Father, we also just, I thank you, Lord, for maybe those this morning, more importantly, God, who maybe for the first time said those words, Jesus is Lord, and have come to that place, God, where they believe in their heart that you raised your son from the dead, and in that, Father, they have received salvation this morning. Father, we rejoice with them in that. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you'll continue to take that small, little, tiny seed of faith, of expression of faith this morning, God. Grow it, expand it. We just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you were here this morning and you kind of took that small step of salvation, would you find one of us pastors, either myself, Jason, Mark, Jim, and just share that. I think Janie's around here somewhere, two ladies. If you feel more comfortable with a woman, uh, find Pastor Janie and just share that with her this morning. We'd love to pray with you. If you need a Bible this morning, uh, we'd love to be able to provide that for you as well.